Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. It's time to preview the French Open. The only difference is you can't see my face. That's going to be how this works because I either have the ability to show you graphics, which I need for a preview, or show my face, but I cannot do both. So for this kind of video, I'll just be showing you graphics and you won't see my face. So for all of those who only watch this show to see, you know, my handsomeness and my smile and my good looks. I apologize to those people. I'm sure there are a lot of them out there. Uh, so you can just click off the video right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so that's how we're going to do it. Okay, I want to start with, and we're going to go quarter by quarter, just as we always do, but I want to start uh, talking about the French Open in general and what kind of players usually succeed at the French Open, what kind of players generally fail at the French Open, uh, and then we'll take a final look at the French Open power rankings before we get into the quarters. Um, so this is going to be very exciting. So just want to say before we get started, what I look for in a player built for success at the French Open, I think that there are three main bullet points. Consistency, power, and fitness. On a slow clay court and in best of five, outdoors, I think that those are the three most important factors. Uh, So because it's hard to find quick, easy offense, because it's hard to get a lot of cheap, easy points from the serve, I think consistency becomes a lot more important. And that unforced error count and keeping that low becomes a lot more important. The second part is over the course of two weeks and because it's best of five and because you're playing longer rallies, Fitness becomes more important. So I don't think that a player who's not as fit has as good a chance at, at the French Open as they do at Wimbledon. I think a player who has uh, better racket skills and better serve and more, you know, m- maybe more of a net game and good flat weapons, th- those kind of players might have a good chance at Wimbledon, but not as good a chance at the French Open because they don't have uh, the fitness to hang back and play long uh, baseline rallies over the course of best of five sets. And the third thing is power, because I think mainly if if you'd like to generate offense on the red clay, well, that, that requires in a lot of cases some power. And I'm again, I'm speaking in general terms. And a player like uh, a player like, I don't know, David Gafan can be successful on clay, at least not well, not this year, but you know. In the past, he can be successful on clay without that kind of power. So, so it is possible to not fit into this box. But I thought that it would be helpful to get started just by kind of laying out some groundwork. And by the way, you look at Rafa Nadal, who's dominated this tournament, who's only lost twice since he started playing this tournament in, was it 2005 or 2005 or 2004? Um, Nadal really kind of embodies those three attributes in a lot of ways. And there's so much more to Rafa, but but still, fitness, consistency, and power are, I would say, A+, plus, A+, plus, A+, plus when it comes to Rafa Nadal. A player like Dominic Thiem, who um, has also found more success at the French Open than he has at, at other tournaments, although the U.S. Open plays kind of similar now to the French Open. Uh, Thiem 
has unbelievable fitness and unbelievable power, and now he's starting to develop his his consistency a, a little bit more. Djokovic is a little bit more unconventional. I would say Roger Federer is is hurt in the power department, and that's part of the reason why his um, his offense isn't quite as potent on the clay, and and in the consistency department, he's a little bit lower than the others. But also, he kind of fits into the category of a player who kind of can bend bend those rules and still have great clay court success, which, as I've pointed out in the past, Roger Federer, of course, has had great clay court success, just hasn't been able to get over the hump of Rafa Nadal uh, over the course of his career. So I wanted to start with kind of that little diatribe. And let's get into the French Open power rankings. There's actually no change. Uh, right now, Lyon going on and Geneva going on. I probably say Lyon like such an American. Lyon, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, uh, those two tournaments going on. Zverev is having a nice run in Lyon. He's still, I believe, alive unless I, I haven't checked the results. I don't think he's played yet today. But uh, that's important, but that's not going to move him in the in the power rankings. Who else is playing? I don't know. But the point is, nothing crazy happening. So the power rankings are the same as they were last week. So we'll just rehash. It's Djokovic number one, Nadal number two, uh, Dominic Team number three, Federer number four, Tsitsipas number five, Zverev number six, Fanini, Cecchinato, Schwartzman, and Del Potro. I feel like this is broken down into three tiers. The top three, Djokovic, Nadal, and team. It would not be at all surprising if one of those three won the French Open. Then I think you have tier two, Federer and Tsitsipas. That's tier two. Federer and Tsitsipas, it would be surprising if either of them won the French Open, I think. It would be, but I would say completely plausible. Then after that, it's really hard to imagine Zverev, Fanini, Cecchinato, Schwartzman, and Del Potro winning the French Open. Very difficult to imagine. So not difficult to imagine Federer or Tsitsipas, but it would feel like a big upset. Team Nadal Djokovic all would seem okay. Uh, that's not that surprising. Um, and that's kind of the breakdown. A couple of people who have been in the French Open power rankings, I've been doing this for uh, a couple of months now. Uh, Vavrinka was in, now he's not. Felix Auger-Aliassime after Monte Carlo. He spent some time in the French Open power rankings. Who else? Marin Cilic started in the French Open power rankings. Uh, so we've had some movement. And then Del Potro, he just recently got in. Schwartzman has been in and out. Cecchinato in and out. And Fanini uh, started really kind of off my radar. And I know, I know he's a good clay court player, but has, hadn't really had the success that he would need to be in the top 10. But Fanini at number seven, um, a, a great honor, a great accomplishment for Fabio Fanini inside the Monday Match Analysis French Open Power Rankings. And before I move on, I just want to remind everyone, the French Open Power Rankings are not predictive. They are reactive. So even if like what I'm saying is basically they're, they're kind of purely based on current form and past results. I'm not really doing any anticipating of future results in the French Open Power Rankings. What I'm about to do, though, is just that and do some, uh, some anticipation of future results and work through these quarters. Um, my, my aim always when I'm doing this is to get a good understanding of the landscape of this tournament and hopefully... Uh, draw out some some good discussion. We'll start with the number one seed, Novak Djokovic's quarter. The top seeds, Djokovic, Zverev, Fanini, Choric, Bautista Agut, and Shapovalov. So the first thing you look at is, well, who is the top seed in the quarter? And Djokovic gets Sasha Zverev. That is a very good thing for Novak Djokovic. Djokovic will be very happy for uh, Sasha Zverev to be his top seed. And I don't really feel like Zverev is going to make it all the way to Novak Djokovic in the quarterfinals. Of course, he has the ability to do it, but we'll see. I have Zverev losing to Dusan Laovic, who I think um, because Zverev is not, doesn't have great variation 
Um, I feel like that might play right into the hands of Laovic, who who really likes rhythm. He's a pure ball striker. And I think if, if Zverev kind of gets into a, for lack of a better term, a slugfest with Laovic from the back uh, and doesn't look, look to mix it up very much and make Laovic uncomfortable, I think we can see um, Zverev struggle in this matchup. Fanini is one guy who Djokovic probably didn't want in his quarter. Obviously, um, Fanini's had the best clay court season of his career, but it is worth mentioning it's been eight years since Fanini has even been in a French Open quarterfinal. I do, however, anticipate that changing. I think Fanini gets back to the French Open quarterfinals um, in this quarter. But then you kind of look at the matchup and, well, players who look to play offensive tennis against Djokovic are are often in for, for... kind of rude awakenings, especially this season. His defense and his movement has been so good, um, and he really makes you play so many extra balls and hits with such great depth that a player like Fanini, who doesn't exactly want to play kind of the grinded-out style that's given Djokovic some trouble this year, I think it's a pretty good matchup for Djokovic, although Fanini has the ability to kind of take the racket out of your hands. But with Djokovic's defense... I, I think that I think that Fanini, um, a lot of what he does so well can be neutralized. Borna Chorich is a player who kind of lacks in the power department, in my opinion, which I think makes him not best suited for clay, although he does have really good fitness uh, and does have some decent consistency, almost beat Roger Federer in Rome. One more points than Roger Federer in that match in Rome. Uh, so, so Chorich is a guy who could be threatening. Bautista Agut, the Spaniard, you would think that he would be better on clay than he actually is, but I think he likes low bouncing, and he doesn't hit with a lot of topspin, which isn't very good on clay. Uh, he, you know, I think players can get it outside of his strike zone, especially on the forehand side with the high bounce on clay, and that can give Bautista Agut uh, some trouble. Great consistency, great fitness, just not very good stroke mechanics for Clay, and has some trouble creating offense. Wouldn't be a problem for for Djokovic. And then you have Denis Shapovalov, who's uh, we've talked about it, but not a natural mover and doesn't have the consistency necessary for success on Clay. So I'm just going to take a look at this quarter and pull it up on my screen here so I know I don't miss anything. The dark horse, Jaume Munar, he is very close to Novak Djokovic. I don't like to pick a dark horse that's close to someone who I don't think is going to lose because then, of course, they're not really a dark horse. Just to remind everyone, the rule for dark horse is it needs to be a player who's not seeded who I feel could make a run to the fourth round. Now, Munar kind of doesn't entirely fit into that because he would draw... Novak Djokovic in round three, but uh, Djokovic will need to bring it because I know that Munar won't back down mentally from that matchup. He's a fiery competitor, a fierce competitor, uh, so I don't anticipate that Munar would kind of lay down. I think that he would um, challenge Djokovic and at least be up to task when it comes to competing and believing that he can win that matchup. Upset alert, Shapovalov. Let's see what we got here for Shapovalov. I don't always have all of this committed to memory, so let's see who I have him losing to. Oh, first round, he draws Jan Leonard Struff. I think that's a tough matchup. That should be uh, very, very short rallies. I would say... I would say that that won't really resemble a clay court match, and it's going to be very tight margins. So in the big moments, um, whoever can avoid those lapses and those patches of unforced errors, I think will will win this match. But I think Struff will be right in that match. I see that as kind of a 50-50 match for Shapovalov. So I got Dennis on upset alert in the first round. Early popcorn. Oh, whoa. I've just received word that Nick Kyrgios has withdrawn from Roland Garros. So Cam Norrie, who I had winning this matchup against Nick Kyrgios in the first round, will not be facing Nick Kyrgios. Cam Norrie will be playing a lucky loser. Um, 
So I'm not sure why Kyrgios has withdrawn. I, I hope he's okay. I haven't actually talked about Kyrgios. He's made headlines. He he was obviously defaulted in, um, was it Rome? Anyway, he was defaulted for throwing the chair. And he had that, that interview with Ben Rothenberg where he was honest to uh, an extent I don't know that we've ever seen out of any tennis player. Uh, since maybe John McEnroe said that Brad Gilbert is like a caveman who found a tennis racket. Uh, but other than that, I can't really think of a player putting so many guys on blast like Nick Kyrgios did. All in all, what I'll say about this is I hope Kyrgios is, is okay mentally because obviously in the last week or so, he's been incredibly volatile. Um, I, I still don't think it's bad for tennis, but I hope he's all right. He's withdrawn out of the first round, so no early popcorn. Let me take one quick look. Chorich, have him into the fourth round. Uh, Radu Albot into the third round. Of course, Munar. Uh, I have him beating Gilles Simone in the second round, so that that match could be on. Chatrelet or Suzanne Longlin, and I have Munar coming through that. Uh, Fanini against Bautista Agut, you know, I have Fanini and Laovic over Zverev in this quarter. Let's move it along. The number four seed, Dominic Team's quarter. Before I even get started here, I want to make a quick point. Uh, as I said, I think the breakdown is that there are three major contenders in this tournament. Team, Nadal, Djokovic. It is a, it is a loss for Djokovic that he's in team's half. I think that whichever player was in team's half uh, is at a major disadvantage for the semifinal, for the potential semifinal. Now, nothing's set in stone. Crazy things happen, but I think that's a pretty big deal. So all in all, if I'm assessing Djokovic's draw, I don't think it's all that bad. I think it's pretty, it, it's, uh, pretty much what you can expect, close to average, for a as far as draws are concerned, but he draws Dominic team. So it's a good quarter, but it's a bad it's a bad thing that teams in his half. Dominic team's quarter features Juan Martin Del Potro, Karen Hachinov, Gail Monfils, Luca Puy, Fernando Verdasco, and Felix Oje Aliasim. Del Potro coming off injury. I'll get into him in a moment. I think he Del Potro got a terrible draw for being a top eight seed. Uh, then you have Karen Hatchinov, who is struggling immensely, not stringing together wins at all. He's a number 11 seed here in Paris. Gail Monfils also coming um, from time off with an Achilles injury. And since he's returned, he had an incredible February, played two tournaments in February, uh, Sofia, Rotterdam, uh, what was the third one? I can't remember. Oh, Dubai. In all three of those tournaments, Monfils made quarter, uh, semifinal runs or further. Then he got injured since coming on to clay. He hasn't really been able to build any momentum, but I still feel like Monfils is in a place where he's super focused. Luca Puy, the highest seeded Frenchman. No, sorry, Monfils is. I don't know. I just talked about Monfils. Luca Puy, though, another hometown um, favorite. Fernando Verdasco, always dangerous. He's a guy, again, his power, his forehand, major factors on the clay. Anyone with a big forehand and anyone who enjoys running around their forehand, clay will always give you more time to create more forehands. And then Felix Auger-Aliassim, his first time being seated at a major Get used to it, folks. It's going to happen more and more and more. Um, so as far as team's quarter goes in general terms, I think Del Potro is a good highest seed for team. Hachinov, Monfils, Puy, nothing overly scary. I would say Verdasco and um, Oje Aliassim are tough um, 20 through 30 seeds, some of the toughest in the draw. So let's take a look at how they stack up. Uh, Ali Asim is on Del Potro's side, so that's really more of a Juan Martin Del Potro issue. And then Verdasco would have to get through Zumer and Monfils before potentially facing Dominic Team. So it's a good chance that Monfils um, can help 
team avoid Verdasco anyway. And as far as that matchup goes, again, like I'll I'll have my eye on Monfils. I wouldn't want him in my quarter because of the focus that he showed in February. But again, he he's not he has not looked overly threatening. My dark horse is Martin Kleson. He's a very crafty player on clay. Um, has has put together some really good results on the surface. Has a good winning percentage. It's his favorite surface. Kleson draws Mikhail Kukushkin in the first round, very winnable. Um, then Luca Pui, likely in the second round. I think uh, a winnable match for him there, and that's I have that down as an upset. Pui, since making the semifinals in Australia, hasn't really been able to put together much. Again, I, I like Kleson on this surface. Heavy topspin on the forehand, heavy variation on the backhand, good lefty serve that, that pulls players out wide. And then the reason I really have Kleson as a dark horse is then he could face whoever comes out of Karen Hatchinov's section. And we know how, how uh, vulnerable Hatchinov has been. All of a sudden, you could see Martin Kleson if this all goes down in as far as the fourth round. So that's that's my that's my dark horse here. It'll be very interesting to see what Oje Aliasim and uh, Del Potro do in their little section. I want to get into why I think Del Potro has such a difficult quarter. I didn't want to put Del Potro on upset alert. I've done it the last three tournaments, and it I really or the last two at least, and in Rome I was wrong. So was I. I was wrong about pretty much everything in Rome. But uh, in Rome I was I was wrong to do it because he made it all the way uh, to Djokovic in the quarters. Uh, but the reason I'm putting him right back there is because he has Nicholas Jari in the first round, definitely a top 40 player in the world on clay. Then he has Mackie McDonald or Nishioka, the winner of that match in the second round, both guys who are quick, consistent, uh, will pl put a lot of balls in the court. I wouldn't want to play either of them. As early as the second round for a top eight seed, I'd say they're both top 50 players. Then Ivo Karlovic, Felix Auger-Aliassim in the third round. Karlovic can can really shrink the margins, and Oje Aliasim, we know how dangerous he can be. So I think that is really bad luck for a top eight seed to have round one, round two, round three, all look that difficult. So a tough draw for Del Potro, and that's why I don't know if he'll make it all the way to Dominic Team. Early popcorn matchup, Monfils and Manorino. I think that this is going to be the match where we see what Monfils is going to be made of, because this is the kind of matchup that in the past I think we'd see Monfils play a very long, taxing, physical match against a player who puts a lot of balls in the court. Uh, Manorino is probably the biggest pusher on tour, at least at the on top, and that's kind of a uh, it's a derogatory term and it's a rare label at this high level, but I'd say that. Manorino, if you're going to call anyone a pusher, it's him. And what Monfils tends to do against pushers is he pushes back for some reason. He fails to use his offensive repertoire. Uh, so let's see if Monfils and his maturity curve will, uh, will show in this round two matchup, which will probably be on Chatrier. Um, against a fellow Frenchman. Let's see if Monfils can make easy work of a guy who's going to do a lot of running, who's going to put a lot of balls in the court, and is going to try to make Monfils work really hard. I do have Dominic Team, of course, coming out of this quarter, though. Uh, no, nothing overly threatening. And this guy, this guy, plain and simple, is, uh, is up there with Djokovic and Nadal on clay right now over the last three months. Doesn't mean he can beat them second weekend in Paris, but he's uh, he's been playing at a level that's comparable to theirs. I don't think that's that's that would be difficult to argue. Roger Federer's quarter, the number three seed, back playing the French for the first time since 2015. This is exciting. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun to watch. It's gonna add 
a lot to, to the excitement and the buzz at this tournament. So I think that's a win for everyone. His seeds, Tsitsipas, Marin Cilic, Marco Cecchinato, Diego Schwartzman, and Stan Wawrinka. Let's get into Federer's path a little bit. I think, uh, I think it's a pretty difficult one. In the first round, you have a you have Sinego who made a good run in Monte Carlo, so he's he's a competent first round matchup. Second round, Casper Rudd is a young star who's going to have a lot of success on clay in his future, or Berrettini, who will be obviously favored to reach the second round. And Berrettini has so much firepower on the surface, big forehand, big serve. That's a really tough matchup in the second round. Then you have Schwartzman and Cecchinato, both top 10 in my French Open power rankings. Both very difficult. And then Tsitsipas in the quarterfinals. And remember, Tsitsipas is in that same tier as Roger Federer, in my opinion, as one of the players. Definitely, I would say at least this. Tsitsipas is the best player outside the top four seeds at, here at the French Open. So Federer has the toughest quarter, or if not the toughest, toughest quarter, at least the toughest path. I think he might get a little worn out. Uh, he hasn't been—he's had a pretty good clay court season, and the fact that I don't think he's going to feel much pressure will definitely make— uh, will definitely make him dangerous. We know how that that freewheeling mindset, if Federer can harness that mindset, we know how dangerous he can be. But I feel like this is still a surface where if someone puts a lot of balls in the court and if Federer's off, if Federer's having a day where his forehand's not firing, he's making a lot of errors, he's less likely to get through it with with his serve, and um, more likely to be upset. There's a lot of players here who can beat Federer if Federer's having an off day. Ultimately, I do have Federer making the quarterfinals, but I, I have Tsitsipas coming through. I think, I think it's a little bit more likely um, that Tsitsipas actually makes it as far as the quarterfinals. I think Federer might be a little bit vulnerable. Um, it'll be an interesting matchup, and I don't want to get too much into it until it happens. But uh, my gut is that Federer is a little is that is that Federer is going to have a difficult time. I hope I'm wrong, because uh, or I hope it, at least he gets to Tsitsipas, because I at least want to see that matchup. Dark horse is Christian Guerin. He's been so good this entire clay court season. He's won so many matches. Defense and consistency are, are his strongest attributes. He's got a fair amount of power off the forehand side as well. So Guerin, let's take a look at who has will have the pleasure of facing Guerin or Garin. I think most people just say Guerin. Riley Opelka in the first round, and then uh, Stan Wawrinka, who I have. I have Garen beating Stan Wawrinka, who hasn't found the consistency that, that he needs to be successful on this surface. Grigor Dimitrov, Marin Cilic, also in this quarter. That's the second round early popcorn matchup. I have Dimitrov winning that. Dimitrov is just more consistent than Cilic, and I think that will pay dividends uh, in that matchup. Cilic struggling, probably not at full health. Upset alert is Stan Wawrinka, but also I think Dimitrov beats Marin Cilic. Tough quarter for Feder. Cecchinato, Schwartzman, Tsitsipas, all excellent in this quarter. He got the worst high seed, and he probably got the worst uh, fourth round possibilities of any of the top seeds. Finally, Rafa Nadal. His top seeds are Kane Shikori. Daniil Medvedev, Nicolas Basilashvili, Guido Pela, and David Gafan. Now again, um, I feel like Nadal was pretty fortunate here. If you look at Rafa's path, he's pretty much dominated on clay 
everyone who he could face. In the first two rounds, he'll get qualifiers, and I'm not going to write that off as, oh, okay, that's an easy first and second round. You know how I feel about qualifiers. They're not easy. But after that, David Gafan, who's had no success, never taken a set off of Nadal on clay. Guido Pela, despite his clay court prowess, the fellow lefty, Nadal has not been a good matchup for him at all. He was destroyed by Nadal in the first round of the French last year. He's never won a set on clay off Nadal. If Pela loses to Basilashvili, well, Rafa Nadal is absolutely embarrassed Basilashvili on clay, and he's never taken a set. And then if you go as, as far as the quarterfinals, him, he's never met Daniil Medvedev, who I have beating Kei Nishikori in this quarter. But if Nishikori wins that matchup, Nishikori has only won one set out of eight against Rafa Nadal on clay. Nadal has dominated everyone in his quarter already. And with his forehand firing, with him finding that range offensively, uh, how he's hit his backhand ever since, uh, ever since after Barcelona— so I would say ever since Madrid, he started to hit his backhand better. And then in Rome, I feel like he found his forehand. He finally found the offensive tennis that he needed to in Rome. I think Nadal blazes through. Plus, he avoided Dominic Team. So I think it's a lot more likely that Nadal reaches the final than it is that Novak Djokovic reaches the final, just based on probability and the fact that Djokovic needs to play Dominic Team. Likely, Djokovic will need to go through Dominic Team to make the final, and Nadal won't. That's a huge advantage. When it comes to who is a tougher quarter, it really shouldn't matter. Djokovic has not that tough a quarter. Nadal has not that tough a quarter. A lot of what I just said for the argument of why Nadal's quarter is tough, a lot of that is credit to Rafa uh, being so dominant on this surface, right? I also think that there are some, some good matchups for Nadal here. But Nadal definitely looks like, like he's a stronger candidate to get to the final than Djokovic is. Here's the thing. As of now, I think Djokovic, because I have him getting to the final anyways, once he gets there, I do like Djokovic against Rafa right now. What I always say, and you guys always want me to talk, 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 talk when it comes to this part, I will, I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about previewing a matchup that might not happen. I will say this. In the, in the matchup, their last matchup in Rome when Nadal won, Nadal did some things tactically that were very, very innovative, very, very smart, and could really bother Djokovic and did really bother Djokovic. Hopefully that matchup happens so I can get into those tactical adjustments that Nadal made. I didn't get into them on my phone in my thoughts video because I can't show you guys these tactical um, adjustments just from my phone. Uh, but... If this matchup happens, I promise I will get into that. Despite these tactical advancements that Nadal made against Djokovic in the last matchup, I still think that Djokovic will have a counter. I still think that the gap between Djokovic and Nadal that currently exists and has a lot to do with nerves in tight moments, in big moments, in my opinion, that gap will be shrunk by the clay, no doubt, but will not shrink enough to put Nadal on top of this matchup if they play on Sunday in Paris. As for the semifinals, Djokovic beats team in four sets. Nadal beats, beats Tsitsipas in four sets. That's all I got for now. Uh, Monday match analysis this week will be about 30 minutes, hopefully, of nothing but comment response. Again, you won't see my face. I'll just be responding to comments that I'll put on the screen. That will be on Monday. Until then, hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Yes, you can't see me, but I am here, and this is a very special show. 
If you've been around the channel, you know that the first Monday of a major is nothing but comment response for 30 minutes. I absolutely love this show because uh, a lot of people get to hear the, to get to see their voices heard. Not really their voices, their words. They get to see their their words read by me and. Um, it's a lot of fun because this is a, always a fun time in tennis where we're about to embark on a two-week journey. No one knows what's going to happen. They might pretend to know what's going to happen, but they don't, uh, and it's a lot of fun. As always, I will read the comments in order of most likes to less likes, and uh, in this video, it's going to be unique because I'm going to show you the comments for those watching on YouTube and not listening on audio on iTunes or Spotify or however you get your podcasts. And I'm going to put all of the comments on the screen so you can see that I don't cheat and I read every single comment as long as it has enough likes. The first comment is an interesting one. It's from Michael Neves. Uh, do you laugh as much at Goldwolf's comments as we do? Okay, I did not think I'd be starting the show like this, but uh, here we go. I'm sure a lot of you are actually really excited to hear me answer this question. My answer, I'm afraid, might disappoint you because I don't have actually all that much to say. First of all, I feel like my property ends at the bottom of my video. The comments, it's open forum, it's the internet. I don't feel like I get to control what people say on the internet. So it's just completely out of my hands to me uh, in terms of policing the comment section. What I'll say about Gold Wolf, is he completely crazy and over the top about Novak Djokovic? Yeah, I think it's safe to say he is. He's a very loyal Rafa Nadal fan, and his opinions on Djokovic, in my opinion, are insane. As With regards to him kind of crossing the line with the personal insults, he does it sometimes. I don't like it when he does it, but again... Uh, unless he, I, I haven't seen anything that <laughs> has, has been too terribly awful to the point where I feel the need to, uh, to do anything about it. Uh, in reality also on the other side, there are people who comment that Nadal only has his accomplishments because he's on steroids. I, I, you see everything on the internet, you read everything on the internet um, Gold Wolf just happens to be incredibly and impressively consistent, like impressively consistent with uh, the amount he comments. He's generally one of like the first five people who comments on my videos. I also, by the way, I assumed Gold Wolf's gender. He comes across as a guy, but Gold Wolf, if you are a woman, um, I really don't think you are. In fact, I'm almost positive you're not. But you never know. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so let's move on. Gene Swart asks, do you think Federer will go deep here? What tactics does he have to employ to be successful at this tournament? For the most part, I think that Federer just plays his game on clay. And in Madrid, I didn't see that much that was different. The only thing I saw that was different from Federer was his use of height and depth. Um... And that goes both ways. So on clay, I'm going to start by explaining this. On clay, if you don't want to take the ball on the rise, and it's a little bit tougher to take the ball on the rise because you get an inconsistent bounce, if you don't want to take the ball on the rise, you have to move back a little bit further than you would have to on other surfaces. To get the ball below your shoulder or at shoulder level where you'd like it, you have to move back because the bounce is higher. I think that Federer likes to take advantage of this by playing with a little bit extra spin to try to push his opponents back and then mixing in um, low slice, shallow in the court, and even drop shot. So the one thing that I see on clay that Federer uses that I don't think he really uses as much on fast court is the high looping forehand. And... He couples that, I think, with very nice use of the drop shot. And he gets so much backspin, so many revolutions on the, on the drop shot, especially on the backhand side, that he really gets the grippy court surface, the clay, to uh, 
thwart the ball's forward momentum and bounce very shallow in the court. So Federer does a really good job on pushing his opponents back and then taking away the depth with the drop shot. So that's one thing that, I've, that, that I see. But for the most part, Federer needs to keep playing first strike tennis, keep going to the net, uh, keep playing aggressive with his forehand, keep mixing it up, and exposing his opponent's weaknesses because he has the, the arsenal to do so. The next comment is from Haider Raha, perhaps it's pronounced. Gil, I just have to know why you have chosen Djokovic to, to defeat Nadal in five sets in your prediction, even though clearly Novak has a tougher route to the final. Even if Nadal does meet all the seeded players apart from Tsitsipas, I don't see how anyone... I don't see anyone coming close to taking a set off him. Then he goes on to say, can you update us on the new Court Philippe Chatrier, which is uh, undergoing some renovations. So a lot of people have pointed to the draw as their kind of rebuttal. Um, and first of all, I understand that I'm going against the grain here. I understand that Nadal is the favorite, should be the favorite, is rightly so the favorite. Uh, I completely get that I'm making a bold prediction here, and I don't expect most people to agree with me. I really don't. It's hard to pick against Rafa Nadal. I said this on Twitter. I've never picked Nadal to not win the French Open in my life since I have been old enough to actively make predictions in tournaments, which has probably been, I don't know, seven, eight years. I have never thought that Nadal is not going to win the French. This is the first year I'm picking against him. So, I mean, I completely get why, why Nadal comes into this tournament every single year, and it should almost be assumed that he's going to take it. He's won 11 of 13 that he's played in, and he had to pull out with injury out of one of them. Or that's not correct. Sorry. Uh, he's won 11 in 14 years. The one that he pulled out of injury was uh, was one of the years, but not one of the tournaments, if, if that makes any sense. But a lot of people pointing to the draw. Again, I think that Nadal is nearly a lock to make the final. And I think Djokovic, well, it's possible he could lose before the final. I think that there's a way bigger chance that Nadal reaches the final um, compared, or, or not a way bigger chance, but I think Nadal has a greater chance of reaching the final than Djokovic. But when it comes to the matchup, I refuse to say, okay, well, First of all, okay, Djokovic is going to be fatigued. He's not going to have enough left in the tank by the final. I think that's extremely presumptuous. It's no guarantee that Dominic Thiem is going to make the semifinal. Even if Dominic Thiem does make the semifinal, let's say they play a five-setter. I don't think history suggests that if Djokovic plays a five-setter on Friday at Roland Garros which he would be the Friday match, I believe, is how the scheduling would go, that he would have no chance on Sunday. I'm just saying that right now. So I, I don't... The fatigue thing, I don't buy that as an argument. When Djokovic has been fully motivated since Wimbledon, I don't really think anyone has come close to reaching his level. Is this recency bias? Yes, I have recency bias. It is recency bias. Is that always a bad thing? Probably not. Sometimes recency bias is logical. And recently, when Djokovic has been fit and motivated, and this goes against him, it goes against him that he hasn't always been fit and motivated. Yeah, that's, for him, that's one of his weaknesses at this point in his career, is that he's not always motivated. And he's not always conditioned. But in the cases where he has been conditioned and motivated, I don't think anyone has come close to reaching his level. Now you're going to say, Gil, what about Rome? What about Rome? Again, I really feel that 
some people overreacted from the Rome result. Nadal needed that win in Rome so much more than Djokovic needed the win in Rome. Djokovic was just coming off the win in Madrid. He was dead tired. And yes, that was his fault. Could he have beaten Del Potro a little bit easier? Sure. Could he have played shorter matches? Sure. But nonetheless, that match in a vacuum, Nadal, after what had happened in Melbourne, after what had happened in Monte Carlo, Madrid, and Barcelona, Nadal needed that. He needed that win. And Djokovic, he was tired. I'm sorry. It's not an excuse. It's just the truth. I'm sorry. If you don't like that, I mean, I'm, you know, again, I, I will only say that a player is tired if I see it on the court. I will not base it off of, off of results in previous matches. We'll only go off what I'm seeing on the court. The reality is about that match, Nadal should have won, and he did. He did what he was supposed to do. The fact that Djokovic took a set, I bet Novak is happy about that. I bet in an honest moment, and he would never admit this publicly, I bet in an honest moment, Djokovic would say, in the state I went into that match, the fact that I showed myself in the second set that I could just fight through, battle hard, and win a set in that match, I thought that was pretty good. I think that was enough for Djokovic. Certainly played like it in the third set. Now Nadal finally found his forehand in Rome, which he needs, but the fact that it hasn't been all that consistent throughout the clay court season, yeah, that matters. Here's the thing about Nadal and slow courts before I move on. I don't see Nadal as the same player that I saw him as five years ago in the sense that I don't think he is, I don't think the the gap between his level on clay and his level on faster courts are as large. I don't think he's that much better on clay anymore. He's still amazing on clay and it's still his best surface. But I think Nadal in his new aggressive style, he is playing so much more aggressive, so much more attacking tennis. With the new style of play that he is implementing, I don't think he's that much better on clay than he is on fast courts. I picked him to win Wimbledon last year. I picked Nadal to win Wimbledon last year because of the way he was playing clay court tennis. To me, he was playing grass court tennis on clay, and he dominated that way. What we've seen is a Rafa Nadal who just hasn't quite looked right. Hasn't quite looked right since coming back from injury until one match in Rome where he looked pretty good. Versus a guy in Novak Djokovic, again, when he's been motivated, when he's been fit, he has held his nerve in the biggest moments, which concerns me about Nadal at the moment, um, and no one has reached his level when he's been fully motivated. So I feel like this is the year when Djokovic could take away Nadal's undefeated record at finals on court Philippe Chatrier. I'm kind of going to close the book on this. I don't want to talk talk about this match. Uh, it's a hypothetical match for, for the next two weeks. I really want to just focus on the tennis that we have in front of us. But uh, I hope that that kind of cleared some things up. Again, I understand that Nadal's the favorite. And if that matchup happens, expect in my preview video, not to repeat what I just said, but expect in my preview video to show you what Nadal did in Rome that troubled Djokovic and to show you what Djokovic might do to counter. That's what you can expect out of my preview video if this match happens. And let's move on. Um... I don't read Arabic, so I can't read this name. Um, I'm kind of annoyed with this GOAT debate and all the biased arguments and stats. In my honest opinion, it is not very comparable for so many reasons. I would rather talk about three GOATs than just one. But if Novak wins this Roland Garros, which I doubt uh, Nadal is here, Mountain to Beat, he will hold uh, all four slams 
in a row, second time, and he will have all slams won at least two times. This would be some next-level SH star-star in the modern tennis, your opinion. Uh, so it's very hard to argue with that. Uh, Novak is trying to become the first player in history to hold all four slams at the same time. But I don't really understand the point you're making because, you know, I would rather talk about three goats than just one. Uh, I agree. For now, I agree because until they call it quits, this is an impossible debate. Um, but if Novak wins this Roland Garros, are you saying that he would be the front runner for the GOAT? I don't know if that's what you're saying. So I don't really know exactly how to answer. I mean, my opinion on this is yes. I think that Djokovic, if he wins this French Open, I think that this is a comment. I think one statement that you could make when it comes to Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, if Djokovic wins the French Open, is that Djokovic might have to be considered the most versatile player when it comes to different surfaces in tennis history, right? That would be one thing you could say and could be backed up by a lot of stats and records that Federer and Nadal don't appear to be embarking on right now, right? Max AB asks, what were your thoughts on the Kyrgios podcast specifically concerning Nadal slash Joker? Nick Kyrgios went on Ben Rothenberg's podcast and off of memory, he um, did, some, did some bashing of some of the game's greatest. Let's see. Against Nadal, about Nadal, Kyrgios said that Nadal is salty, basically, and that he doesn't give credit when Kyrgios wins. Uh, about Djokovic, he said that he's fake and he, he wants to be liked, basically, that he has an obsession with being liked. So his complaint with Nadal was that he's salty, basically bitter after he loses, after Kyrgios beats him. His complaint about Djokovic was that he needs to be liked all the time. Um, here's the thing. Again, let's go player by player. As for what he said about Nadal, is Nadal salty when Kyrgios beats him? Yes, he is because I think Nadal can't stand Nick Kyrgios. He should be salty. So to me, that's just good competition. I've talked about this before. Rafa Nadal and Nick Kyrgios are polar opposite personalities. They shouldn't like each other. They shouldn't talk about like they they shouldn't talk as if they like each other, and that's completely fine. When it comes to Djokovic, Kyrgios actually says the thing that um, I I gotta I gotta be completely honest. This is a flaw of Djokovic's, I actually kind of agree with this specific critique that sometimes I feel like Djokovic gets frustrated when he's not getting love, when he's not, when he doesn't feel loved, he gets a little frustrated. And I think what that, what that does is it, it makes his detractors, the people who don't like him, it makes those people dislike him a little bit more. So uh, just an honest critique of Novak Djokovic uh, and take it from someone who's a New Yorker. Uh, when when Djokovic gets upset with the U.S. Open crowd for not supporting him properly, and I know that you know maybe maybe he's in the right and the U.S. Open crowd kind of is not giving him the respect he deserves when he plays Federer. Well, here's the thing. I will tell you this with confidence. When Djokovic shows visibly that he's annoyed with the crowd for not cheering for him over Federer, that's going to make them cheer for Federer louder. So I think that Nick is, is almost right there. Um, what, what are my opinions on, on Kyrgios saying any of this at all? I, I really I think that Kyrgios is one of the personalities in our sport. And if everyone was Nick Kyrgios, so help me God, it would be unbearable. But to have a few Nick Kyrgioses, loose cannons, uh, personalities, bashful um, kind of personalities, I don't think it's a bad thing. Uh, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. 
like him, hate him? Sure. Bad for tennis? I don't think so. Uh, Ajay Baines. Come on, Gold Wolf. I'm a Rafa supporter. I don't think I need to read this. Uh, Gil, sorry I'm posting on this here. Keep up the great work. I look forward to your responses. Thank you. Yeah, so I guess that wasn't exactly for me. Moving on. Amelia B., out of the top candidates, who is least benefited with it being best of five sets? Do you think it would give team an edge over Djokovic if they were to meet? No, I don't. Uh, You know, you could say team has had his best clay court results in best of three. You could make that argument. However, the only way I could see someone having an advantage in best of three is if they don't have the gas. And if anyone is going to tire, it's not going to be Dominic team. So out of the top candidates, probably the person who would benefit most is Roger Federer because, I mean, I think if anyone is going to now, Federer doesn't, you know, none of these, see, none of the top, none of the top guys get tired uh, very often. But I would say that when, if Federer can kick it into this extra gear uh, that sometimes he holds back in the best of five format, or, or not that he holds back, but sometimes he needs to save some energy. And in best of three, he could probably do a little bit more running and defending that maybe he wouldn't want to do in best of five when he's trying to conserve energy. That's just a thought. I would say Federer, but I don't really have much uh, much support other than the fact that he would he would probably appreciate these matches being a little bit less grindy and physical. Muhammad Ali Zaidi asks, will Novak be as dominant as he was in 2014-15 in this stage of his career? We saw last year when he was dominating that he lost in the finals of Paris and London. Even this year, the emphatic win against Nadal in Australia when everyone thought he would dominate again. Then there was a dip, and unfortunately, I cut off this comment. That's my fault. Uh, The answer is no. Because in 2014-15, Federer and Nadal were not themselves, and Andy Murray was his biggest rival. And Murray at this time was playing awesome tennis, but I do feel that there's a little bit more depth right now, and that the young, between not only Nadal and Federer who are still posing threats, but also you have um, you have guys like Tsitsipas, who's already given him trouble. Guys like FAA coming up. Um, if Zverev can get it together. And I think at, at this point in time, when it comes to Novak, those are the only people worth mentioning. And Zverev is almost arguably not worth mentioning at, at this time. Um, Vonch Vermani, uh, to what extent do you agree with Kyrgios's assessment of Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray? I already talked about Nadal and Djokovic. Kyrgios said that he thinks Federer is the GOAT, that's his opinion, and Murray, their best buds. Now, here's one thing I do want to say. Kyrgios is 6-6 six and six all time against the big three, if you don't include Murray. But he's never beaten Murray. And I think part of that, it just goes to show you how mental this is. When he plays Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, especially a guy like Djokovic, who he doesn't even respect, and Nadal, who he doesn't really like, He has no respect for these players, so he comes in with a certain entitlement, a certain mindset. And you have to wonder how much of Kyrgios' opinions of Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, uh, his lack of respect, at least for Nadal and Djokovic, how much does that play into how well he plays against them? Andy Murray and him, best buddies. One of his favorite friends, one of his favorite people on the tour is Andy Murray. And Kyrgios plays terrible against Andy Murray. Worth thinking about. OCS, uh, Gil, you have never, uh, you have to answer the most liked question, which is currently Michael Nevis. No dodging it. You see, people were very excited to hear me talk about Gold Wolf. All right. Five more minutes, people. Who is the biggest threat to Novak before Dominic team? Huh. Let's take um let's take a look. 
Well, I pull this up because I don't want to take time. I'm just going to go to the next comment. Uh, Gold Wolf asks, what round do I think Djokovic will choke? Um, I don't think he will. OCS, real question. Despite, despite me being annoyed at Nick Kyrgios for his comments on Novak, what are your thoughts on my theory that he can win Wimbledon just to shorten it? My theory that Kyrgios can win Wimbledon. Um, I don't know if physically he can play best of five for two weeks. And I don't know if mentally he can do it either. However, I kind of agree with you that the way he's played this year, he's shown some promise at times. And uh, I do think he'll be very, very dangerous at Wimbledon. I'll answer Jose's comment in a sec. And Terry and Terry says, Gil, have you seen one of my videos? I want an honest answer now, my friend. Yes, I have in Terry and Terry. You do a tremendous job. Um, you are uh, a really, really sharp tennis mind. I enjoy your comments, and uh, I don't, I don't have much time to to watch. I don't really watch other tennis YouTubers. I don't is the truth. Um, but I, I have seen in Terry and Terry's videos, and they're very insightful. Um, what was the question? Djokovic, right? Oh, I think Fanini. I think Fanini. I mean, Fanini can can pretty much hit everyone, hit hit anyone off the court. So I think Fabio Fanini would be would be Djokovic's biggest uh, threat before the final. Jaume Munar lost, so that that was surprising to me. A potential third round matchup for Djokovic. That's good for him. Hercoc was not that. That's an unlucky draw in the first round. Now Hercoc is not. I don't think uh, a clay court player, but still. Certainly at this time, a top 50 player. And uh, he got through Hercoc pretty easily. I think Fanini, though. Chorich, Bautista Agut, Shapovalov, uh, who lost, by the way, who was on my upset alert. So that was a good one to uh, Jan Leonard Struff. Um, I would say Fanini. How is the Philippe Chatrier playing? Rafa said the court's the same. Um, it's still open. It's still windy. Um, after the first day of matches, are your thoughts the same or do you need more of a sample set? Uh, it looked, yeah, I, I'm not really sure. And a lot of, a lot of my viewing today was Shardy and Edmund because I had the, the British feed. So they were showing Edmund. So I, I did miss some of the action on Chatrier. I, I did not, I, I'm sure in the U S they were showing Serena. And then they were showing team against Tommy Paul. I can't believe Tommy Paul hung in there with team for so long. But me, I was watching uh, Edmund and Shardy, which was an unbelievable match. And I'll take a second to say I can't believe it. It just it makes me very angry that the French Open doesn't have lights and that they have to stop that war. I think it's six all in the fifth set right now with Shardy and Edmund and the crowd was into it and the match had such a, a brilliant, it was at such a brilliant level. And I know that it won't be the same when they restart tomorrow. Let's try to get through these very fast now because I only have a minute or two left. If Djokovic wins against Nadal at Roland Garros, does it put him ahead of Nadal in the GOAT discussion? Uh, not in the mood to answer that one. Okay, now we got a long one. Hey, Gil, Nadal is the easiest draw. Djokovic has a tough one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Personally, I see Nadal winning unless Novak arrives all the way to the final with confidence and a minimum of energy lost in the process. On the other hand, the quarterfinal fed Tsitsipas seems so obvious. The winner. That's a very tough one for me. But I, I really do feel like Tsitsipas' forehand on clay is a weapon that I think can propel him past Roger Federer at Federer's current level on clay. I think that Tsitsipas' forehand is going to bring him so much success on this surface because he's so good at running around it. The ball slows down for him a little bit, so he has more time to run around it. His acceleration is so good. He generates so much space, pace, so much topspin, that I really think he can use that shot um, to get past Roger Federer. And I know that Tsitsipas will hold his nerve. And I think Federer will hold his nerve also, by the way. But uh, Tsitsipas has shown that he can be the real deal in five sets. And on the big stage, he will not shy away. Um, he thinks that fitness and physicality 
will decide between Rafa and Novak. And, you know, it's, it's tough to say who would have the edge in fitness and, and physicality right now at this stage in their careers. It's, it's pretty close. All right, let's get really rapid fire. Europe. Uh, hey, Gil, how is being in Europe like compared to home? I think that, that London is pretty similar, actually. To I mean, it's different. It, it's different. First of all, I love it here. Um, London is, is awesome in in so many ways today this is a loaded question this might be a longer video i might make a thoughts video on this uh but i just want to say that today i i was at um a pub watching aston villa play uh derby county in the promotional playoff final and uh i you know i made so many the the strangers were so friendly uh, they were Aston Villa fans, and they, they let's just say, they, um, they taught me the songs. They taught me the songs. So now I know all the Aston Villa songs, um, and it was a good time. So I'm, I'm loving it here. Who goes further, Delpo or Zverev? I would have to say Delpo for sure. Gil, I think that team doesn't have the consistency. It will cost him here, your opinion. Uh, I think he's become more consistent but I do think that that is his biggest disadvantage um, against a guy like Novak Djokovic. How many more can we get through? Let's just try to finish him. Uh, over the top, were you surprised by the over-the-top hyperbole reaction of Rafa's fans when he beat clearly fatigued Novak in the Rome final? Yes, I think that there was some overreaction to the Rome final. Uh, the Parisians are the most passionate about tennis among all Grand Slam Crowds, agree or disagree? When it comes to supporting the French players, I agree. When it comes to, on average, the most engaged crowds, I would, I, I think I want to give that to Australia. But I don't want to judge until I've been to all of them. And I'm going to the French, but I, I haven't been to Australia. Kyrgios is not worth a mention. Okay. Well, too late. Guess we blew that one. Thoughts on the women's side. I always like Halep on clay, her lateral movement, her ability to hit on the run. Um, her defense is so incredible. Her consistency is unreal. Uh, and because she doesn't get much from her serve, the, the clay kind of even things out for her. Um, so I feel like Halep's the favorite. Um, I'm excited to see what Bibi Andrescu does with her forehand on this surface. Uh, and I know that I think she dropped the first set, and I think she resumes tomorrow. So uh, that should be interesting. But I would say that that Halep is my pick on the women's side. All right, that's all I got. Hope you enjoyed. I certainly did. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.